Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Sarah Green Broderson, co-founder and CEO of Canary. Canary is an online UK-based projection tool that enables businesses to better project out and forecast their future cash flows and operational costs. And with that, here's my interview with Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Jason. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So Sarah Green Broderson, co-founder of Canary. Tell us about Canary. Yeah, so Canary is a software platform that helps companies understand their future finances. So that means forecasting, financial modeling. But what we do differently from many other solutions out there, and especially what Excel can't do, is that we add on advice onto the platform. So it means we actually analyze numbers and based on industry standards, benchmarking, general advice, we will put that in the product and actually help you or the customers that we have on board um, model their finances better. But Excel can't do. Love that. Because honestly, <laughs> like, you know, I have this love-hate relationship with Excel. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. That's the Swiss Army knife of all things, but yeah. all things business. But it's also a massive failure if all you're doing is using Excel, which is unfortunately yes. the default for most people. And the old saying, garbage in, garbage out, definitely applies to projections, exactly. especially when you're not using industry benchmarks or things that yes. are relevant. Yes. So well, yeah. we'll come back to that. So, um, <laughs> So tell us about your history and the history of the company. Like, what did you do before this? Why did it come to be? Uh, yeah. And let's uh, what basically give sure. your history. Yeah. So I sort of academically, I have a background in, in IT. Like, I could do a little bit of coding, but not something that, you know, will make anyone happy. So I'm staying away from that. I did. Have you seen a no code platform? Lately? You don't need to code anymore. It's know, like just drag and drop. <laughs> I think actually I could probably make a lot more money by being a developer now. But um, yeah, no, I, I stayed away from that, at least for now. And then I did a couple of years as a management consultant, which, you know, was great training, great learning, but horrible culture. So left that. And then I actually started my own company. So Canary is my third company now and that's sort of probably not my last either. And so Canary came about because I met my co-founders through my last company where I was doing an accelerator. So those guys are actually sort of the finance geniuses and um, they were looking for a CEO to step in, you know, build the team, raise the funding, have some understanding of software uh, companies mm-hmm. and, and how to build a product. And so we set that up last year in October. Let me just so, say one other one thing quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Refreshing to hear that the leadership they sought out ended up to be female. Thank you very much. Yeah, that is, you know, <laughs> yeah. so first off, let's just separate this into two pieces. One sure. was, yeah, the techies needed a business operator. Great. Sure. So they found someone with experience. Great. They found a female leader in that space. Even mm-hmm. better. We'll get to the entire, the lack of, of uh, gender diversity on my podcast shortly as a topic. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm so, happy to, so happy please, to discuss that as well. <laughs> please continue. Please continue. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a short story. And then obviously we, we said about doing a bit more research, building an MVP that quickly got traction you know, expanded the team, raised a bit of money. And then now we're at the point where we've just been, we just come out of beta. So we've been live for around a month and we've onboarded 250 companies. So even on the traction side, we're seeing great uptick as well. So I'm just really proud of what we've achieved through this year and especially with the pandemic and economic crisis on top of it. It's, uh, yeah, the team. Well, let's be honest. There's the time to model out your business is now because, you know, you're probably facing... You know, un, 
unprecedented financial yes. stress. Yeah. Yes, that's that's what we've seen. A lot of people are coming either because they're fundraising or because they want, you know, plan A, B, C, T, E because of the pandemic and everything is so, you know, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. So everyone has contingency plans as they should. Okay, so take me through the actual experience of the user end to end. So I actually, for the record, I, I did love this one line. Not everyone was born to be an Excel master. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. given I think we've all seen the statistics on less than 10% of the actual functionality being used. So you're yes. right, not, most people were not. So yeah. tell me about the, the end user experience. I'm a company, yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I see this and I think, okay, great. I get to figure out what's going on with my business going forward. What does that experience look like start to finish? Yeah, so we can actually get you a model set up in just a few clicks. That's kind of what we say on the website, but it's actually really true. So what you do is obviously you sign up with an email or whatever you log in with. And then we ask a few basic questions in terms of what type of company are you? What are your goals? So how long do you want to model for? And so on and so forth. And then based on that, we create sort of a template which is ready to go. And then you need to fill in more details. So what are your cost drivers? What are your revenue drivers? What capital do you see coming in? And what, what does your team look like? Obviously, if you already have an Excel model, you can copy paste from that. So it's, it's fairly easy to to do that even if you have used excel before and you're just really frustrated with that like i am um usually and then as you go along so if you add numbers um, we analyze it in real time so if something suddenly looks off let's say your unit economics which is something that most founders have no clue about we will flag no. that yeah and they're really important right especially if you're fundraising so we will flag that but not only that we'll also tell you here are some ways that you can actually improve it and things to remember as you go along and then you know if you want to build it with your team members you can invite them you can get an advisor on board you can share it directly with your investors or your board and obviously export so we know that some investors prefer excel still (laughs) so you can obviously export it to excel as well fair enough yeah. So first off, how much is this being manually input and how much are you, are you, are you involved in any kind of data aggregation or API connections to accounting softwares yet? Yeah. So that's the next big thing that we're actually going to use the open banking so that we can connect directly to bank accounts. Um, Sorry, just, I almost yeah. lost all over open yeah. bank. Oh, such, <laughs> such, a, such a dream that I will, I may never see in my lifetime in my uh, country, but oh, I tell me what it's like. Tell me yeah. what it's like. <laughs> It's super cool, right? Because it, it gives so much freedom and obviously there's security things that you need to be aware of, but I'm I'm really excited about it, especially for our product. But yes, for those who can't tap into open banking, we will be doing accounting software as well. It always has a delay um, with accounting software usually. So it's... Yeah, but uh, yeah, sorry. Just like <laughs> you look I, very I like frustrated. <laughs> oh, no, oh, you have no... I got in for those of you who I think I haven't started advertising yet. I have a five-part series on open banking coming up in February just to go over how frustrated I am because we're... It's a long story. Europe is so far ahead of so many places on this. And the US yeah. is kind of figuring it out along the way. And Canada's just sitting here kind of like twiddling their thumbs and letting uh-huh. five banks r- run the entire country. So really, this is, this is, I'm, I've got this entire sp- like series planned on, on the different approaches across the world and a general yeah. con- t- contextual wrap up to just show how frustrated I am in general. But nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, it, it should be interesting and, and frustrating. Yeah. But yes, hearing, hearing like you just talk about it, like, oh yeah, we're going to tie an open banking infrastructure and this is going to make it easy. It's just like, oh, I'm knocking you over with a feather. This is incredible. <laughs> ah, okay. Deep breath. All right. 
So basically, you mentioned fundraising quite a lot, you know, that yeah. lens. Is that specifically like a target market of yours as early stage companies? Or is that just basically like what's driving that in particular? Was it choice or demand? So we did an analysis of the market and this was definitely be the pain point that made most companies start to model. I mean, anyone would think that when you start a company, the first thing or one of the first things you would do is sit down and actually make a budget or a plan for your cost, but people don't. Oh, you until... fly by your pants. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. There's some money in the account, so we're fine. Until you meet that first investor who say, can you send me your financials? And then founders go, uh-huh, but they haven't actually done it. So that was a clear pain point that we wanted to tap into and actually help founders because even if you have a finance background, you probably have it from you know, finance and accounting, which is very different from fundraising. And as we talked mm -hmm. about unit economics as an example. So that's a starting point because we saw the need and the pain point be so clear that and the founders we talked to said, well, I've just spent you know, 2,000 pounds on getting this financial advisor to build me a massive Excel spreadsheet, but I have no idea what's in it. And I don't know how to update it when my assumptions change. So all of these stories just made us want to focus on this as a, as a starting point. But obviously the perspective and, and the, the opportunities are so much bigger. There's nothing stopping us from building this into um, even an enterprise level uh, product. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's funny in the... Um... The handful of times I've had to go to a bank or anyone else for fundraising, typically we're, we're very well organized. I like to say that with a, as a point of pride and the books are always <laughs> up to date. And yeah. we typically, I'm like, okay, what do you need? Okay, no problem. And I turn it around in a Dropbox file in about like, you know, a couple, about an hour or two, right? And the response is almost universally like, wow, like that was, that was fast. And it's like, what are the people doing? I mean, I take yeah. it for granted, yeah. but it, it is, yes. it is true. I mean, you're, you're just, it's money in, money out. As long as there's money at the end of the day, you know what your bills are. You're jogging, juggling that in your head. Most people don't, don't structure, yeah. especially early yeah. on. Right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, all the conversations we have with investors, they're sort of saying, I so love this product because I see all the terrible financial models I get on my, my side of the table. So it's, um, yeah, it's not just a problem for the entrepreneurs. No, it most certainly is not. So basically, that's, this is where you started, right? Like you're very early stage in the market, you just got mm -hmm. gone live. So yeah. what are the plans for further development of the product? I'm sure you guys have lots of stuff in your roadmap. Yeah, we're, yeah, I wish we had, you know, that you can tell developers. me about. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. No, so obviously, as we, we, we spoke, um, the actuals, which will not only be able to help build the model faster, but also compare to your actual spending and so on. So that's the next big thing. There are lots of advice and benchmarking that we want to build in. So not only benchmarking with industry standards, but also startups that we have on the platform. So you can sort of assess how are you doing compared to other startups in your industry and at your stage, which gives a whole another opportunity to, we have lots of interesting data there that other people might be interested in. And then one of the things that we hear is often a point of discussion is valuations. And once mm. we have all of the data in there and the numbers, we can pretty quickly give an estimate of what your valuation should be and how you can improve that. That's not only based on the numbers. Obviously, there's lots of you know, team and product and so on hype around a company when you set valuations, but at least to have sort of a you know, hint of what could it be. So yeah. those are some of the bigger things oh, next year. took away one of my questions. I figured valuations was in the, uh, was in the cards, but uh, I was saving that because you beat me to it. So where are you getting this current benchmark data? Like, where is it coming from? Um, so right now, there are sites out there that do it. We haven't integrated benchmarking data yet. So we're still assessing what would be the best sources. Obviously, with the startups that we're getting, and as we're getting more and more, we can use some of our own data as well. 
Excellent. Well, I mean, yeah, as you, you kind of nailed it, right? Like as you continue to collect data, you'll be able to harvest that and then basically start benchmarking based on like the industries. I mean, if you were mm-hmm. successful enough to get a large enough sample size of any market, you'd be able to very easily do that. Yeah, yep. that's, that's definitely the plan. Fantastic. So that's the plan. Uh, what's the early feedback thus far? I mean, you've only been around for a month, but you say you already got over over 250 people using it thus far. Yeah. What do they like? What do they want fixed? <laughs> <laughs> There's a longer backlog. No, so definitely what, what the, the positive feedback is that we save them time, we save them money, we save them, you know, the knowledge that they would have needed from an advisor or they would have Googled their way um, towards. So those are sort of the key selling points. When we started out, we thought it would be founders and sort of non-finance people coming on board, but we're actually seeing quite a lot of finance individuals as well signing up because uh-huh. they obvi- obviously might prefer to work in Excel because that's what they've done all their lives, but that's not very engaging to the rest of the company and the rest of management. So they're saying something that looks more engaging, that looks beautiful, uh, might be helpful in conveying their message better. So obviously for these guys, we need to have more advanced uh, modeling capabilities. So it's into the details of how you can model revenue, how your costs are connected and, and so on. So it's just making the product more advanced really is um, is the key key points of feedback. Yeah. And I'll say this much. I often say there's a big departure between what the finance people think a, a readable spreadsheet is and everybody else in the company. I mean, some, <laughs> yes. of, some of this stuff, like I, I, I've often, and I see this at all levels, whether it be businesses I deal with or or businesses I've looked to buy or sell. And then in addition to that, the uh, students I've even dealt with, it's just like, I know that this spreadsheet makes a lot of sense to you, but you did not design this with the intent of, of educating know. someone else. Like yes. so I oftentimes wonder just what it is people are thinking sometimes when they, when they put these things together, I know. Uh, but such as life. Know. But, and, and I will also say, I'm not surprised that you're getting, you know, non-finance people doing this sort of thing because never discount simplicity and, and the value mm-hmm. of it, even to the most mm-hmm. complex use ca- uh, like use yeah. users. Like it's just, yes. you know, if you can make it faster, easier, prettier. Yeah. People are yeah. all over that. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why we're, I mean, so confident in our ability to build this into more of an enterprise uh, solution as well as we go along. So yeah, it's really exciting. No, oh, makes perfect sense. So let's go back to my lack of gender diversity problem. Um, <laughs> so when I, I, I kid you not, I feel like I told this story several times. When I first started this podcast, I thought I'd start with a mind to try to create balance, at least to some degree. And unfortunately found that I had to stop trying because it just was not working. I could not, could not find enough. And even some of them, actually, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with someone in the VC space about this and was griping about it and said, and the problem is a lot of times the, the women founders don't necessarily want to come on and advertise that they are women founders, especially in fintech, because sometimes they're just like, I don't need to draw attention to this. Like I, it's working. Let's not, maybe I get some demerit points in some people's minds, which is just vulgar <laughs> in my mind. But the reality is, is that that was a very real, when, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. First off that that's, you know, they're almost afraid to stand a step up and speak out. Frankly, like it, it is a, is it is a ever growing problem. So yeah, first off, tell me what that experience has been like on your side of the pond. Cause you guys are based out of, out of uh, the UK. How frequent, how common is it in you're, you're a multi-company founder at this point. Like that's got to mm-hmm. be more, even more rare state of affairs than what would otherwise be seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a huge question. I think. Carry the weight of your gender. Come on, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Can you solve this problem for us? In, you, yes. in a Can you solve yeah. It, please. yeah. So I always get this question where it's like, why aren't there more female founders? And I, 
I don't know. I am one of them, right? So it's hard for mm-hmm. me to to answer, first of all. I would say that when I get offers to come on a panel or do a talk because I'm a female founder to talk about being a woman in tech, I kind of get a bit tired is probably a nicer word. Well, shouldn't they be more interested in you because of your accomplishments as opposed to your gender? Exactly. I'm exactly, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good CEO. I've actually done accomplished accomplish certain things and I'd like to talk about that. As well, I don't mind talking about being a woman in tech because I can't, you know, I can't separate myself from that, but it doesn't have to be all I talk about. So I don't want to be pigeonholed. And I think that's what you're talking about, that some women might be scared of being pigeonholed. I would say in terms of sort of branding, I think there's definitely an opportunity in it because as you say, not a lot step forward and, and make a name for themselves. People always remember my name, maybe not my last name, but, but at least Although my it's, first it's, name. You, got, you got a double barrel of the last name. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. So I used the one that's actually easy to pronounce. Yeah. So there, there are obviously, you know, stories and I've had experiences with, especially when you're fundraising and all of the data suggests that there are bias, there are sexism, there are unconscious bias, you know, the whole range. My biggest concern is that, you know, young female entrepreneurs or even, you know, just minority founders in general are worried about starting a company or coming forward because they hear these stories. And I would say it's so rare that it's nothing to be scared of, but rather 99% of who I meet or don't see my gender or don't, you know, even comment on it. If they do, it's usually positive. And then I think, yeah, with experience, as you say, this is my third company. So now I'm kind of like, well, if someone can't handle me or whatever for because I'm a woman, then they're definitely not someone I want to work with, right? So it's it's about building that confidence, and obviously that doesn't come overnight. I don't know where yeah. I'm going with this. It was a big no, but it's no, it's <laughs> fair. No, it's I mean, it's yeah. a, you hit on you hit on several. I mean, I asked you several questions, but you hit yeah. on several notes. I mean, the entire yeah, it's got to get exhausting that you got recognized because of gender non accomplishment, and that's not that's not to say that that's the primary reason because I mean, yeah. if this is your third time going at it and you've got another one out the gate, that's mm-hmm. accomplishment and that's recognizable. Yeah. Right. And I've had this conversation with countless, countless women in my industry and friends that I've supported over the years. And it's just like, yeah, it's nice to win these women's awards or get to these, but you know what'd be nice. Just, mm-hmm. just not the women's awards, but just the general yeah. awards. Right. It's yeah. just like, yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But it's one of these yeah. things where I think, is there a better solution to elevate everybody than to actually single out? I, I don't know that there is, but I, I'm <laughs> very glad to hear that you feel that you're not, I mean, yes, the bias, the subconscious biases, and we've, you know, we've seen this just in the number of ventures that get funded out of the Valley mm-hmm. and other places. Mm-hmm. It, it disproportionately favors men, but I'm very glad to hear that you feel that you're not being singled out or reflected as such. Like it's it's not being viewed as a negative, you've been viewed as a positive in general. So that in itself is indicative of change, thank goodness. Um, yeah, so yeah. I'm glad for it. And I'm also glad that you're the, in general, the younger women coming into the into the space that you don't think it's a detriment or they shouldn't be viewing it as as they're going to be held back because of it. No, I mean, it's the more, the, the better the industry will be, right? And And I think that's Especially in the UK, there's been so many, so much focus on it, especially from VCs and entrepreneur groups that they want to create a space for more women to feel, I don't like the word safer, but just feel more comfortable and where they can find role Accepted, models, right? You know, like whatever Accepted, it be. exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I mean, now I'm in fintech, so it's it's all men. It's like tech okay. and finance, right? So it's, but I know from friends of mine that are starting up things in femtech or beauty or health that it's much harder to pitch because the men in the boardroom or at the investor partner meetings just doesn't understand if you're building a menstrual app or fertility thing or like 3d nail 
prints or what I mean, whatever it is. So it's it's much harder. So I, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I probably am lucky. Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, in fairness, uh, you know, if, if I was a VC and someone was pitching me something for a need that only existed in a far off country that I did not know idea about, yeah. like that, that to me would be like, I need the education around this. Yes. And I think that's, you know, the same thing. You, you, come with, you come to be the women's, I will understand as a woman's need, but I don't necessarily understand, you know, the need in the, the, the women's specific need in the marketplace and what else is out there. So I, I would yeah. say that that behooves them to less, you know, make sure they're properly educated on this and you can't always yeah. count on that. So no, well, I mean, like a glad, again, progress. And, you know, it's, I, I was liking it to how much better we're all going to be. I mean, like, besides the fact that, you know, one of the most common indicators of uh, of the wealth of a nation is, is women's workforce participation. My favorite line always uh, when on this subject always has to go back to Warren Buffett when people asked about you know how he became so successful. He's like, well, it helped that I was only competing against half the gene pool. Like it's no, yeah. but he's basically yeah. but he, he said that yeah. tongue in cheek, but it was in support yeah. of the fact that it shouldn't be like this, right? Yes. Like so, yeah, and all all the like there's a few reports that shows that you know women even do better return on investment, so much better than men. So it's it's yeah. like it's a missed opportunity if you don't invest in and further. You know what? Numbers. It's interesting. I've got a, a bit of a contrarian view to that. Not that I don't believe those numbers. I think the thing the thing is about they have to be so good that they can't be ignored in order to get funded. Yeah. That only yeah. the best are getting. You know, I think if anything, yeah. I look forward to the day where women led companies do the same as men because it means we've started funding just as many bad ones as yeah. we have. <laughs> that's true yeah yeah yeah. but i i think there is a difference in how i mean this is this is generalizing way too much but i think there is a a difference in how women manage a company and and they might be more risk averse as a sort of a a natural trade and that means that yeah there might be some big wins and some really big losses for men where women might be more yeah so you call it risk averse i I, i'll call it not suffering from as much overconfidence bias okay so uh, so let's let's just turn that into a positive oh god we're gonna get a twitter storm after this You know what? Let it come. If you want to be yeah. the opposite side of conversation of empowerment, then you can you can beat up on me all day. I could care less. I'm just gonna block, 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 block. Anyway, so before we finish, uh, there's three questions yeah. I ask everybody, kind of on a positive note. If you had one wish for something you could change in the industry or the or your company as a whole, what would it be? I got that backwards. Wow. Right? Yeah, in the industry or in the company as a whole. Yeah. I mean, so I'm a really impatient person. So obviously, I just want everything to go faster. I mean, you were talking about open banking when we started, and I think imagine if the governments around the world could enable that. That would just be incredible for not just companies, but just consumers as well. I just picture children running through fields, holding hands, and rainbows around. <laughs> that's 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 my. On their, that's, that's on their my banking apps. That's it. <laughs> it would just be a better world (laughs) well i mean it's here's my entire spin on it uh it's our bloody data anyway um yeah yes stop telling me i can't have it in in a form that's not you know borderline what's the here's the csv file yeah like like oh yeah you can have it you have to crawl over glass because we're just jerks like that like yeah come on yeah yeah no that should be illegal that should be illegal Thank you. <laughs> I had never actually voiced that, but you pretty much summed up exactly what I think about that. All right. Uh, so, terrible consumer experience should be illegal. <laughs> Second question. What's been the biggest challenge again to company to where it is today? Oh, good question. I mean, there's so, there's so many challenges. I mean, obviously the pandemic, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think... So I was, I was actually... I got coronavirus in March and was out for two weeks and... 
we just hired a new CTO and he had to sort of <laughs> run the whole company and it was sort of his baptism of fire. We're lucky because we don't have anything physical as such. We could just take our laptops and work from home. But mm-hmm. ah, the challenge in terms of liaising with the team, making sure everyone's mental health is you know, somewhat okay and just so we don't have an end in sight, I think that's probably sort of an ongoing big challenge that yeah, I don't think any other generations of leaders have really had to face in in the same way. And, you know, if we do, and when we do get on the other side, I'm really proud that we've gotten through it. And and it's definitely taught Mm -hmm. me a lot about leadership, but I think that that must be the biggest challenge. Oh, yes. I will say that (laughs) everybody's getting a hard lesson in leadership right now. (laughs) uh, I'm not going to lie. The, you know, I think to myself at least once a day, I'm so done with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to go for a drink. Oh, I know. Well, I, just yeah. want to, I just want to be able to drop my children off at daycare and be able to kiss them and not have to wear a mask. Like, my God, yeah. all the yeah. little things in life. Anyway, yeah. we'll look back on these days and, and think about how crazy it was one day. And then the last question is, <laughs> what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to fight the good fight? And especially for someone who's done this more than once. Like, let's, let's be honest. Yeah, so I would say my, my last company was um, didn't end well in that sense, so I left that. And I know that if I had had more confidence in myself and in the plans for the business, it wouldn't have ended that way. So I am really working to make more entrepreneurs succeed. And that's what gets me out of bed. Excellent. A worthy cause. Entrepreneurship is the lifeblood of any economy. So uh, the yeah. more they succeed. And, yeah. and just one side note question to start before we stop. Whenever, because I have a lot of people in my industry come to me for like guidance on professionalizing their practice and, and moving and scaling up. And everybody's on this podcast has heard this more than once now. My first question is always, okay, how often do you check your financials? To which more often than not, it's, you know, a coy, well, the accountant hands them to me once a year. And my yeah. classic line is always, well, yes, I'm sure Tim Cook looks them once a year too, right? The, the reality <laughs> is, is that cash is the lifeblood of your business. <laughs> and frankly, understanding what is coming in, what is going out and what that looks like on a go forward basis. Um, yeah. The reality yeah. is we, if we didn't have some understanding of what we were going to do tomorrow, or mm-hmm. where our kids are going to go tomorrow, or like just, you know, that kind of vision for the future, we wouldn't yeah. get out of, like, we would, we would solve that problem. But so often <laughs> in business, it's just like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to put my head in the sand and work really hard and yeah. this will all work out. And yeah. maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but yeah, better way. So thank you for helping broaden that better way. Yeah, I'm doing my best. I think it's also about, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not just about having a good product. It's about having a process around it. Like I, I don't come from a finance mm. background and I don't particularly like numbers as such, but I, I realize that I have an amazing board and amazing investors that have forced me into doing a good process where it means I check it if not once a week, at least every two weeks when I have to do reporting or there's a board meeting or have investor conversations. And so I realized over time how valuable it is to be on top of it. And you can foresee changes that you need to do way in advance. So yeah, it's, it's definitely about making that process work for you as well. And for the record, it is a common theme around here that a lot of the founders are not finance or number people. So they just come out <laughs> from the outside. And my response yeah. is usually good because guess what? We, as you know, we all get kind of bogged down in the way of doing things. And sooner or later, someone's going to come in from the outside and be like, hey, um, that's backwards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, excellent. So thank you so much for taking the time. It's very much appreciated. And I wish you nothing thank but you. the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So that was my interview with Sarah Green Broderson of Canary. I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever's your podcast. It really does help people find us. Until next time, take care.
This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.